Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the P Podcast. Today with me is Matt Phillips, um, a, a founder and a managing director of, of Pay As You Go PR for Scale-Ups. I like Scale-Ups, Matt. This is really unique. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Um, so you talk a lot, and this is what we're going to touch upon today, is about branding, startups, um, marketing, publications. I like the bit about reputation and management. I think that's quite powerful. Um, so I would like to start with the questions that I've keep reminding myself from, from my own work is uh, one of my bosses in the past told me shitty presentation, destroy good story, good presentations, sell shitty story. Do you agree with this statement as a starter? Wow. Great. That's a great question. Um, I'm going to do what I do as a PR and sit on the fence and not answer the question. I'm joking. I would say, um, you know, they're two sides of the same coin, right? I think you, you, I think presentation goes uh, a massively long way um, uh, in, in communications. I think there's a number of things to remember. Um, the vast majority, particularly when you're, unless you're purely audio, a vast majority of the information that the audience is receiving is visual. So, you know, it's body language, it's uh, visibility. So the per your personal presentation and style really matters. Because in communication, people buy people, right? It's the same tr is true in any walk of life. So the way you see yourself is massively important from all the cues that you see and everything, really, really, really important. Similarly, um, polish matters. So if you've got, if you're a startup brand and you've got some rubbish website with typos in it and it's badly designed, however good your product, however good your narrative, people can't see past that, right? So if you, you've got to have, it's, it's got to look slick. And these things, you know, with designers and freelancers, and it's relatively easy to get that kind of clear and, and, and down. So that that's really, really important. But having said all of that, if your story isn't consistent, if your message isn't compelling, then no amount of beautiful presentation is going to get through that. So I have answered the question, but I've done it and says I'm not going to pick a side because both are really, really important. I agree with you. It's just like what, it's you get the ticket, but they didn't get to the stadium, like to watch the game or be part of the game and <laughs> this kind of things. You know, your design and your brand and your imagery is effectively the front door, as you say, the ticket. And, and clearly no one's going to see the game if the ticket is really bad. But then if you've got a great ticket and, and there's no game, <laughs> it's very far. Exactly, exactly. So now we go to, you know, the business of PR. And I'd like to ask this question a bit differently. Everyone is like, totally would ask, oh, how to do a best PR, what's the best way to do a PR and, and how is, you know, best is done. But I will ask you the other way around, uh, how could it go wrong? I think the best way to do, okay, here's my checklist for bad PR, right? I think the first one is say one thing and do another. If you break down what PR is, public gets worse, the bigger that you are. So for example, if um, if you're a startup and you're saying relations, it's about reputation. And you talked, you mentioned the word uh, earlier, and we'll talk about that. I'm sure a bit more. But the the, the way to, to to get bad PR is by doing one thing and saying the other, and that 
discrepancy between what is said and what is done in terms of bad reputation. You know, we want to reach um, 100,000 users by the end of the year and you reach 85,000. That in context may be a really good achievement. But because you've missed your target, you've said one thing, you've done another. It's a bit like a bit of a black mark. It's not great. If on the other hand, but then if you're a relatively small business and there's lots of mitigating circumstances and you're growing, you're learning, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious, right? But on the other hand, if you're Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the UK, and you say, we definitely didn't have a party, and then it emerges that there's photographs of you having drunken festivities with your staff that you apparently didn't know about, that that's 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 much more serious because of your the, your power and your impact so generally speaking do what say what you, you need to say what you're going to do and you need to deliver on it and you you build a good reputation by consistently doing that um another another um way to not do pr is behave out of character uh, this is a little bit of percent about think about it as reputation as competency and character so bad pr is Bad, poor competency, poor delivery. Same is true of like bad reviews and things like that. You know, these things reflect badly on you. It's similarly about character. So if you have claimed to have certain values, um, and one of the things that you're talking about is something washing, green washing, diversity washing, impact washing, all of these kind of virtue signaling things that you say are important to your business. And you might say these things, but then you behave in a completely different way that's out of kilter with that then that's, that's the way not to do things. So I think generally it's be consistent and authentic um, is the reverse to kind of how not to do bad, bad PR. Um, uh, I, I think um, treating, that, that'd be one. Number two would be um, treating uh, PR like it's cold calling. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, lots of people, uh, I know I get lots of them, um, is very salesy, direct salesy connections on LinkedIn where it's kind of an out-of-the-blue connection request. Okay, I'll accept it. Let's see what they've got to say. Oh, hi, how are you doing? Right, okay, what are you trying to sell me? Um, and, and then, and then it's, 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 a, it's a tone-deaf way of, of, of a, and we all, we all see it in one walk of life. But journalists are the same. Journalists don't respond any differently to us with cold calling. So if we send a press release to a journalist, unsolicited, out-of-the-blue, untargeted it's unwelcome and that reflects really badly on your company if, if it's untargeted and unpersonalized from a pr perspective the chances are the journalists will look at it and go well who, who are these guys they're amateurs they're not they're not even they're not even interested in building a relationship with me they just want the transaction immediately so i think it's thinking that pr is some kind of magic thing that can happen overnight and happens by kind of spray and pray tactics it's absolutely what you have to think of it as relationship building and it's called earned media for a reason you have to earn the right to be featured and talked about so um those would be my two top don't do right so just to shoot on board and reputation and management so and and, and very interesting example actually you brought in with boris johnson uh you know um putting everyone in quarantine and then you know he's going at a party for his birthday and 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 then going on on a press release saying well i didn't know that's a party we just i wouldn't dare and it will get surprised 
do you think that what he did is the right way or he has been ill-advised and what's what's what have been better done and from a Briar perspective well it's 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 a combination of things i think the the facts with reputation management and you always have to start with what the facts are and i think the, the fact that i can see is that there's him with a glass of wine and a couple of others in a room and you think from a factual perspective how bad is that and I know there's a lot of outcry and I know it's been compared to people that couldn't do really important things like going to funerals. And this is why it's resonated really, really badly. But stripping the facts back in the context that this is the person leading the country, are they not entitled to have a, a glass of wine once? In a, you know? So if you think of the facts, what are the facts that we can see, how bad are those, yeah, I suppose, is the first point. And I, I would say... On the balance of things, the guy's been fined. He's been in, you know, investigated. He's been fined, and and that so there's clearly a transgression. So did he behave in the right way? No. But as transgressions go, relative to some other things going on in the world, it's not the worst thing ever, right? What was really bad is is saying one thing I didn't, and then it transpires that he did. So what would have been stronger would have been to to come out and be honest about it in the first place, given a bit more of a disclosure and let that media cycle blow over and it would have arguably dampened it down. Now, so you could argue objectively down to you as a leader, he behaved in the wrong way. And, and, and I think it all boils to how you are seen. So you're advised by PR people, yes, but ultimately it's your decision. It's on you. So you have to judge, make that judgment yourself. So he's probably, probably ill-advised. He's probably made a bad judgment call. Having said all of that, we don't know exactly the context of the decisions that were made at the time and all of the other things that go on behind closed doors. So it's really easy for pundits like myself and others to sort of say, oh, this was bad, that could have been done better, blah, blah, blah. But you're doing these things in the abstract. And when, when you're in that kind of high-pressure environment with serious serious issues on your plate it's possible that you overlook it and you're a bit slapdash and overthink it and make mistakes plus they live you know politicians live in a bubble right where they are by design insulated from popular opinion it's really hard unless you they just believe in a different world as we all live in our own little bubbles our own little realities so you know it's 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 a difficult one to call but you know that I mean, I can analyze why it didn't look good, but it's too. Uh, it wouldn't. I wouldn't be so bold as to say I would have done it right. It would be all the time too subjective, isn't it? And never being objective because he look at it. But always yeah. So, you know, the one that they've got in, in my mind next is basically what's the right time to start investing in a PR and how much media attention should a company get relatives to its peers? And especially the, this question is more related to, you know, startups. So how, how that could play out in your opinion? I would start with what I call the, the basic, uh, so a brilliant, brilliant question. Um, so let's, let's start with um, how much coverage should a company get? This is a really complicated question to, to answer because there's all sorts of factors that come into play when a journalist is considering whether to cover or write a clause of physics, uh, PR physics. And, and the, fir the first is about power. 
and, and that's really where you start. So whatever, let's go back to Boris Johnson. Whatever Boris Johnson does or says is going to have infinitely more PR impact than what I do or what I say. Me criticising Boris Johnson like that isn't going to bother the tiniest little block. But if it's someone like Keir Starmer or the Queen criticising him in the same way, that's front page news. Now, this is all very obvious, but it's understanding that it's the relative power of the commentator has a huge impact. And what startups can often make a mistake with is thinking, well, Google have a point of view on NFTs. So therefore, I, my, I have an opinion on NFTs. Why won't that be written about Fast Company or Inc or Wired? And it's, it's because they're more powerful as a brand and what they say matters more. That is obvious. But actually, there's, there's, street, there's levels of that. And, and, and what sometimes you can't see how much power another organization. So, for example, has. So these things are kind of relative. A company that employs relative power and influence are, are really, really important. And there is a level at which 200 people and has 5,000 followers, say, on, on LinkedIn, is invariably going to get more coverage than a sole trader who is followed by 20. So the, 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 the cues about a person's you don't simply don't have enough market power to bother with PR because you're so, so early stage the, the money you would need to invest to get coverage is just not worth it. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of an, an unwritten rule. So that's, that's power. Then there's presence. So if you think about the way that brands build, like the way through advertising, through visibility, through all of those, the visibility of, of a brand, you start to notice things over time. So as you get more media coverage, it gets easier to get the next piece of media coverage because you're building a profile. So you can think of that as brand capital that you're building by being visible and talked about. And it's much easier to PR yourself if you've already got that coverage. And therefore, there comes a point at which it gets cheaper and cheaper. So there's a tipping point of how you invest and when. So you need to think about the sort of the, the, the presence and visibility. And then the final one is reputation. And um, if you don't have um, proof of a track record, i.e. competency, or proof of good character, uh, good reputation, you're, you're very unlikely to get coverage as well. So where that leaves you as a startup, um, pow power is not something that you can create out of thin air. So often um, you need to borrow the power of others in, in, in PR terms, which could be like working with, you know, leveraging a really famous client who has brand capital and you can sort of use their name to get coverage or you can uh, have a famous person join your board. I mean, famous in relative terms to your, to your sector. So um, if I had a really famous angel investor on, on, my, on my board who gets loads and loads of coverage, then that makes it easier for me to get coverage in the tech press where that person is featured. So you can do things to increase your, your, your power. Um, just being visible on social and regularly commenting helps you build your presence. Um, so that people are more likely to say, oh, yeah, I've seen that person before, I remember them. Uh, or going to events and being seen at events and um, just, just networking and getting to know, hang out where journalists are, etc. That that presence can also really, really help. And then finally, um, reputation in terms of building um, 
proof of competency. So it's growth numbers, user numbers, hard metrics that show your business is doing well. It could be high profile clients that you've done, or it could be high profile work that you've put out into the public domain. But proof of competency is important and then proof of, of good character. So for example, that's why um, investing in charities, doing pro bono work, things like that, that reflect your values. All those things kind of add to your, your, your capital. Uh, and those are, the, those are sort of the laws of PR physics. On top of that, you've got other, because people like the, 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 the texture and the difference, the tension in, in a story. So you're more likely to be not elements that can help, help um, get you more coverage and punch above your weight. Primarily being unusual. So being the same as everybody else is really hard to get coverage for. If you have diversity of people, diversity of thought, diversity of point of view, and are saying something punchy and interesting and challenging, that's more likely to stand out. Noted if you're saying something different, which is again, a basic principle of human nature. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and this is like um, the elements where you talked about um, um, sometimes to, uh, to be different is what makes you famous and, 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 you know, because you have a different texture. And I was about actually saying a good example for that is Donald Trump. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good example. Yeah, so Donald Trump is just completely against the norm. So that helps him, him, him stand out. So, yeah, I was just going to just rounding off on the point about, about uh, above the laws of PR physics I was describing. It's novelty. It's also um, having charismatic people stand out and look different it's also what's really important is timing so for example if i'm uh, if i make fax machines i'm really going to struggle to get media coverage at the moment whereas if i'm minting nfts i'm going to get more attention because i'm of the, I'm of the moment so those those things all, all boil into getting a sense of how strong and how much interest they're going to be in, in your story okay so all of those things considered in answer to your, the first part of your question, which is when is the right time to start investing in PR? I would say um, that I've, there's a kind of a rule of thumb in, 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 in budget and money that, that kind of uh, you can work back from. So the, in terms of prin principles of marketing, you know, the, you know this um, brand versus sales, there's a sort of you need to do from, from an advertising perspective you need to have a balance of those and the rule of thumb is about 60 percent of your marketing spend or investment on brand and and and, and 40 percent on sales activation and a big narrative in marketing is that that, that um, investment has been out of whack with uh, a lot of people massively over investing on sales activating direct response digital marketing at the expense of brand advertising that builds reputation. So you don't, you don't build a brand over time by doing that. PR sits very much in that brand building side, partly because people, I think, seldom will look at um, a piece of media coverage and go, oh, that's brilliant. I'm going to buy it right now. It's not like a, got a direct sales equal to action. It helps shape pr helps shape in your mind your perception of that brand and so it sits very much in the in the, in the brand area similarly if someone is doing due diligence on a, in b2b particularly which is more specialized on on a series of brands and they, they're going to google you right so if if i've got company a has got 
first pages of in trade versus Google has got say I something on Wired, two or three articles, articles and 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 alongside a good website versus company B who has never ever been featured in any publications at all. You're more likely to choose the one that's famous and written about than the one that isn't. Partly because we all like to work with the famous and and. You know, that's just how we're wired. But equally, it's kind of that third party endorsement that goes, well, if publications are writing about them, you know, it's that kind of, I saw on telly, it must be true. But similarly, that journalist has deferred their trust. In that respect, it's absolutely enough by saying, I trust this company enough to feature in my publication. So, brand. So, with all those things considered, what other branding things can you spend money on as a startup? Billboard advertising, print ads, TV. That, um, there's lots of different things that you can spend that will build your brand alongside sales activation. So you, you have to go well. That that from that you can carve roughly a PR budget. So if my brass tacks, my marketing budget is ten thousand pounds a month, and I'm taking the sixty forty split, that's six grand in 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 brand. So of that. Maybe about half, say, is PR. That's three grand. That's a relatively small PR budget because, in fact, you don't, you find that um, that doesn't go very far because PR as a channel, as a discipline, is infinitely more expensive than other brand, other, other marketing disciplines. So you can buy, you can do SEO and you can find um, content marketing agencies that, that, that can do these things relatively cheaply. Because PR is 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 a, is a difficult thing to do. It's very high risk and it's expensive. So I would say working on that maths, if you're if you're you're not going to get much value for, for below two grand. So if your marketing budget overall is less than eight or nine grand a month, then it's probably not worth it. So, but then the flip side of that is that. If you can do PR and say your brand capital and your story is really good, you can actually find you can get coverage quite quickly. If you've got a compelling story, you're in a hot area and you've got a charismatic spokesperson that can talk about the issues and talk about the, the environment and tell you something interesting about the world other than just focusing on the features of their product then actually you're, you, you've got a good chance of getting more coverage. And media coverage more than punches its weight in terms of value to the business because you know, a, a full-page advert in the Financial Times on one day might cost you £50,000, whereas £50,000 buys you a lot of PR that lives on the internet and enhances your reputation forever. So while um, they're, those two, they're two very different brand-building channels, both very effective in their own way, but you need to think about it in relative terms. So, um, uh, you know, there, there's, there's, I think, ballpark figures in terms of P PR. Um, a, a good freelancer, experienced PR freelancer, will usually start at around £350 a day with no guarantee of results. So you're buying them one day a week uh, for over the course of a month. You, you know, you're still getting to the £1,500 a month bracket. And then from a retainer point of view, which is how most PR agencies operate on a retainer basis, again, it's a sunk cost with no guarantee of results. And typically you'd be looking at, you know, £3,000 a month for a retainer and you're likely to get quite junior staff 
on that as well. So and it can be a bit hit and miss. Some agencies can do very good value at that on a retainer basis, but lots don't because there's a lot of it, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to buy. So it's generally, I think it's those are some ballpark programs that might give you an idea. And that really is why we say we're a PR agency for scale-ups because and, until you've done a sort of a series A round, you're unlikely to be able to be able to invest that amount of money overall um, until you get to that series A part because that's, that's important. Similarly, when you reach that level of traction at a, ser at a series A level, then you're, you're considered going to be credible enough by the journalists to be to warrant your coverage as well, because you're making progress. You could usually you've done your product market fit and so forth. So that's a good, good way of looking at it. We're living in on a digital age. A lot of people, you know, that's what they call it nowadays. And there's a lot more fancy terms to use. I'm curious, what's the, what's new in the market in terms of like tech enabled PR and how that look like? Um, you know, maybe in the near future. Well, I think firstly, the, the, while tech moves really, really fast, obviously the, um, the, the, the human brain doesn't change. I mean, our, our hardware is still the same as it was thousands and thousands of, of years ago. So I think what, what is, it's less about how the tech, the tech enables it. It's more about how humans are ad adapting to it. I think in terms of trends and how technology has changed changed PR at a number of different levels, I think for one, because we're so bombarded with information, different feeds, different channels, it makes PR considerably harder because you have so much more noise to compete against. And um, because the, 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 the number of things competing for everyone's attention, not least journalists, is hard. Is, is hard. Um, I think the way that the combination of a sort of smartphone first weighing onto the internet and the sort of decline of print and linear media means an aggregation through through social. I think I often say that we 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 tend now to um, lean into the feed rather than re sit back and read. So, so a client might say to me, well, what's the point in being in the Times newspaper? I don't know anyone who reads the Times newspaper. And it's like, you need, you need to not think of it in those terms. You need to think of it in terms of this is a high quality brand that when you put it under people's noses, will get you attention. So you have to think more broadly about how once your message has been endorsed by that third party, where else it's going to go. And there's all sorts of manner, uh, manners and ways of doing it. I mean, you could do an entire podcast on the changing nature of the LinkedIn algorithm over the last six months and how important LinkedIn is as a channel, secondary channel to take your message to a wider audience. Um, so the the way that the relationship with publishers and platforms and aggregation is always changing and you just have to keep on keep on top on top of it so the way that human beings respond to emotional response and the way that we use data to post rationalize our decisions and the way that pr helps us make those decisions is pretty much the same it's just that the platforms the messaging the mechanism and the process has changed quite quite dramatically so my follow-up question, just hearing you and one, uh, 
like out of curiosity, there's many channels could be used for PR, and you mentioned a few of them, and if not all. But there is this, um, you know, th this thoughts in my mind, like, okay, you got to be as a business or even as individuals um, ahead of the curve. And that means using one of the channels that is underrated, that might be become, you know, you can't be, you'll be ahead of the game. So from, from where you stand today, what do you think the channel that's most underrated and people not really paying attention to it? Um, I'm going to say controversially email and, <laughs> and, 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 and never, I could, I never could, I, I never could imagine this down. So I would have thought that you would say, oh, that's a TikTok or that's, you know, one of the crazy things, oh, that's an Instagram or whatever, but emails, that's kind of, and, and, traditional. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to say email. And the reason I'm going to say e e email is because, um, Partly in marketing is the decline of the third-party cookies. And uh, so if you've not been following this story, and I'm not a te technical expert, so I don't understand totally the detail, but essentially it's becoming much harder to send targeted advertising um, to bespoke audiences through internet advertising. And I think that's partly because of privacy changes that Apple have made within their ecosystem and similarly within the Chrome browser. That means that two things. I think it means you're more dependent on those platforms own data to, to target because that's a, a consolidated advertising play by, by them. But, but secondly, it, it reduces, um, it will improve. They're, they're, I think it's all the third-party data concerns. It's just it's just cleaner. And I think the ad tech community is grappling with this um, in a, in quite a big way. But what it all amounts to um, is what Seth Godin wrote about in his book Permission Marketing, which is essentially the best way to promote and build and grow is is through a community of advocates, in my view, and and. PR is part of that. So if PR is about getting journalists to advocate your idea indirectly, you, the, the people who you sell to that love and care most about your brand um, are, are the best advocates for it because word of mouth is still the most effective channel. So going back to all that, e email is still that thread that gives you permission to talk directly to that customer. And that should be cherished and nurtured and grown so i think once you've got that permission to have because it's in terms of digital communication it's still the killer app in respect of you know yes whatsapp groups and other other platforms can be used to create different channels and ways to communicate with that customer but email is still the killer app um so in that respect i would just focus on building that is, is a really good audience around that i mean i say that my business it doesn't really make that much use of email funnily enough and there's also i can talk for ages about why that's a, an individual use case but and i do quite a lot through linkedin but that does mean that i am dependent on the whims of that platform in order to have a permission to talk to my audience that, that my, so i don't have that they mediate and control that and monetize it on my behalf so i think in terms of growing that direct relationship, I would probably focus on that first, um, uh, and particularly the niche markets in which you want to grow your business and focus on and, and build, uh, begin to build a narrative of 
delivering value to that community, um, whether that's through the content that you share, whether it's through events that you put on, or whether it's through um, other things, connecting people, whatever it may be. So yeah, that's my answer. So Matt, so taking on the other extreme spectrum of that, so emails is underrated. What's actually the overrated? Uh, medium for PR? I mean, I, th I think I, if I'm thinking about PR in the narrow field of media relations, th there's a sort of, um, it's quite democratic. They, 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 most, most, you get the value out of most publications um, relative to their audience. Okay. So um, I, I wouldn't say that any one is, is, is better than the other. For example, you know, if I take, take my audience, um, my customer is probably not reading the Daily Mail, right? Uh, if I'm thinking I want to be attracting startup founders um, who um, uh, who are interested in all these things, they're probably not, you know, they're not a Daily Mail audience. But coverage in the Daily Mail for my business would be amazing because it has enormous reach. It has great SEO. It has, um, and actually, if I put a picture of me in the mail on LinkedIn, Everyone would be like, "Oh my God, that's so weird." So, so the, the 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 value isn't necessarily seen at face value. Similarly, if I was to provide a comment in a super niche tar targeted title that is in theory spot on, but the message is quite dull, that might be super targeted, but might not deliver any value for my company. So it's all relative. I think in terms of channels which are over, over overrated versus underrated i think as i said email i think is underrated i think out of home um billboards as, a, as, a, as an advertising channel is massively under underrated and in fact most brand building channels are massively underrated and undervalued because people have spent so much money on direct direct directly measurable um media like facebook and google and the digital channels because they get accurate numbers of impressions and they get accurate numbers of clicks and all these things but how that translates to growth and of course it's often the last click of the journey so i might click on a facebook ad that i see for i don't know patagonia jacket but i'm already minded to buy a patagonia because i've seen the brand in the press and it's formed an impression in my mind but that, but Facebook is the one that benefits from it because it's the last click of, of, of the journey. And I think marketers often overestimate that by because, because it's the thing that you can accurately, reliably measure. So um, there are a lot of media, media planning and buying agencies are experts at working out relative to your ad spend, what the best channels are and, and are very good at advising on, on that. So yeah, so, so I think it's um, that's obviously in the in the arena of paid 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 media, but in the arena of earned media, I think it's it's more about getting the message right and not just relying on the media publication to do the work, but making sure that people see it and you leveraging sweating that asset. Brilliant, um, Matt. Conscious of time, um, actually, you know, you and me were individual people and. Um, I was thinking to ask you the question is actually how best, what, what's the best way to build a personal branding? Um, best way to build a personal brand. Um, well, when we're advising our clients on how to do that, um, I think the first thing is to sort out your footprint. And what I mean by footprint is 
um, your your social profiles. So if just linking, just think about LinkedIn as, as one as one channel. Have a good photo. Have a coherent biog that reads not like a CV with um, unsubstantiated uh, adjectives. So I don't care if you're a leader or you're a you know you're this or you're that. Let, let the numbers and the accolades and the actual real things that you've done speak for themselves. So a really good biog with a compelling photograph and, and a specific sense of what, what it is you talk about and what you're expert at is, is one. And, and that needs to be reflected on your website and, and so on and so forth. So, so it's getting that, that, that sorted. I think then it's, it's creating a narrative around the things that you care about. And, uh, and, and, and and talking about those things and applying them to, to, to the real world. So um, I often talk about the subject of thought, thought leadership, and I think it's the most abused term in communications because thought leadership is usually code for, will you, will you publish and look at my marketing content, which, which isn't the same thing. I think thought leadership has to, bring something new to the debate, usually new data or proof, and it has to offer a course of action or agency to a specific community to do something about it. So it's like, we, we're saying this new thing, we think you should do that. And that for me is thought leadership. All the rest is punditry, analysis, and that's fine. It's fine, I'm not saying it's bad to do those things, but it's, it's identifying a topic that you care about based on what your company is trying to do and also what you feel about in your bones is, is, is important and then be seen to be trying to progress that. So you've got a clear, you're conveying a clear sense of this is what I do. This is where I'm going. These are the topics that matter. These are the barriers to this happening and I want to knock them out of the way. Who's coming with me? And, and that's thought leadership. And, and, and the best way to build a, a personal brand is just to commit, commit to that and talk regularly and try and bring people with you on your journey um right and not just try not broadcast you don't say oh i've done all this and look at me at this conference and i'm a hero and i've won all these awards it's like no 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 what do you want me to do you've got my attention what do you want me to do and how is it going to benefit and i think that's the best way to build a compelling personal brand by talking about these things consistently um, very quick one, very quick note. So do, are you pro-narrow, meaning in the topic that you're covering? So it's like if you're talking about PR, you didn't go wider, like on PR, but more with specific area in PR. Um, do you mean, do you mean me pers personally or in terms of... Yeah, it's like when, as a part of your plan, branding yourself, in, say, in LinkedIn, um, you wouldn't go, like in my case, looking a management consultancy, but you would more to like one element in it, like say, change in communication or transformation or else? Yeah, I think it's much better to, to, to niche right down. Um, in terms of me pers personally, um, I, I, I have a, a, a problem with the abuse of power, okay? Um, and, and any time I see it, I have a problem with it, whether, whatever walk of life, whether it's business or individuals, and I feel that someone's being complacent with their power. So I want to, I, I want to, a lot of startups are actually, when you get to the bare bones of it, are created to challenge abuses of power, okay? So 
I what my brand of PR is about helping those companies that are trying to improve the world in a measurable and credible way to give them a platform. So if there's any one thing of PR my brand would be, it is being quite an activist and helping activist change makers, I suppose, bring their cause to life through effective communications and just helping them on on their way. And, and that, that's really where I would sort of pro- properly niche down. Um, generally speaking, if I'm, if I'm being a little bit um, broad enough, I talk about different types of PR that there are around. I would say there's sort of generally there's three buckets of PR. You've got corporate communications, which is B2B, and it's about incre- improving the profile and reputation of a business. Then you've got publicity, which is just being talked about in mainstream consumer press. And then you've got public affairs, which is a strand of PR, which is much more specifically targeted at changing the law. So lobbying. Um, And we're very much in category one. So it's it's a belief in supporting capitalist profit making businesses to go out win win the right to win customers and change things and, and that's really our, our area very quick one so you founded ppr and, and i was wondering maybe for me and for the audience to understand what's the key differentiator of ppr versus other players and in, in in public relation market i read um there's a really good book out there um which i would recommend called traction and, and, and Traction is a book that's designed to implement something called the EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And within that, there's a kind of a template that there's like a, a kind of canvas that you can use to basically define your brand. It's a little bit like Simon Sinek's sort of how, what, why, why circle. And the reason I give that convoluted opening answer to the question is because, and this is something that really resonated with me, no business really has a USP or a single differentiator that says, we do this. Okay, Google do search better than anyone else. Fine. Lots of businesses don't. Particularly services business, they're not unique. There's loads of you about, right? So I think it's really quite instructive because what they talk about is your three uniques, which are things that are not individually USPs, but actually are attributes that combined make you perhaps significantly different to other other brands. So I think I would advise any brand to look at those three uniques and, and try and, and, and try and try and define them. In answer to your question, our three uniques, I think, the first one is that our, our method is is built very specifically for companies that are not yet already famous. Because as I use the examples of Boris Johnson and Google, big brands like that will get into publications without much effort because they're big brands okay um so it's easy it, really it's easy and actually the challenge of pr for really big brands is more reputational it's they're on the pedestal so the so the journalist people want to knock them off it so you've got to be careful you've got to be cautious and you've got to be measured and conservative in a lot of the things that you do and say um because the, the journalists are looking for a little chink in that armor and we'll, we'll go for it and highlight it because they know that that creates tension in the story that will, will that the people will completely. So, so because of that, our method is designed around companies that, that need to hustle 
and say things that are different, that are challenging and be differentiated and stand out. And, and, and by focusing on methods on that market, i.e. companies that are at scale up between A and B, series A, series B, um, that method is, is exactly what we, 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 is our first kind of unique, as it were. The, the second one is that we have designed our model to, to work with freelancers because I think there's a lot of freelance talent out there and it's about finding the right blend of freelance talent and staff because you, you can't build any business entirely on freelancers in my view, but nor, but actually you can't build a business entirely without freelancers because you're missing out on a lot. So there's a blend of freelance and staff talent that I think will sort of make us that's hardwired into what we do. So I think that's the, the, the second one. And then I suppose the, the third is using, we're using technology to automate and standardize all of our processes so that we are really efficient. That makes us really e easy to work with. So it's, it's, it's a combination of freelancers, methods and tech that makes us different from, from, from a lot of others. And I and and, and a sort of fourth attribute, I suppose, is our is our business model and we're pay as you go. So we dispense deliberately with the retainer model to go for a more productized method that, that is, is quite unusual in the marketplace as well. So yeah, those are probably our differentiators. Brilliant. Matt, thanks a lot for joining me today. Um uh, thanks for all of the insights and information. Very, very valuable. Enjoyed every bit of it. And um I'll, I hope that I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for having me on. Take care.